Thank you, Trevor. Thank you. Sorry for that. So good that we've taken time to remember those who've died, those we've lost, but also to remember those who actually laid down their lives for us. The Bible says, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You know, Jesus went even beyond that because it says, while we were still his enemies, while we were still hostile to him, Christ died for us. It's good that we've taken time to do this this morning. And um, we didn't arrange this, we didn't orchestrate it. But as it happens, I'm preaching about dying this morning. Similar in some ways, different in others. Because the German pastor and theologian of the mid-20th century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, is famous for saying these words. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And that was literally true for Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Together with a few others in Germany, they resisted uh, the Nazis, um, the whole ideology. And with something which was called the Confessing Church, they signed the Barman Declaration against Nazism. That they would not bow down to that idol Uh, But they would be loyal to the cross, not to any Fuhrer, but to the cross. And for that, he was imprisoned. And on the 9th of April, 1945, at Flossenburg concentration camp, he was stripped naked, dragged to the execution yard, and hanged at dawn. There was a, a doctor who was a witness to this, who later reported this. He said, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer leaning on the floor, praying fervently to God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed a few steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. When God, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I stumbled across on social media just recently uh, a report of all of those early apostles, those disciples and early church leaders and what happened to some of them. Now, I don't know how reliable all the historical evidence is, and maybe there's some speculation involved, but most, if not all of them, died for their faith as martyrs. We know for sure that Peter, for example, was crucified, crucified upside down at his own request because he didn't feel he was worthy to be crucified in the same way as his Lord. Paul was uh, beheaded in Rome not long after he'd written his letter to the Romans. Thomas, remember doubting Thomas? He went to be a missionary to India but was pierced with spears. James was stoned to death. Matthias, the one who replaced Judas, remember in Acts chapter 1, he was burnt to death. Most, if not all, of those early apostles and church leaders, um, it cost them their lives. Sarah, a couple of weeks ago, was talking about the cost of following Jesus, the things we have to let go of, the things we have to lay down. Ultimately, we could be called to lay down our lives. This is what Jesus said about this. 
Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 36. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, when you saw somebody in those days bearing a cross, there was only one thing that was going to happen to them. They were going to die. They were going to be crucified. So when he says, take up your cross, it's not like bear your burdens. Oh, it's the cross I have to bear. No, it's get ready to die. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Now, I am going to show that what Jesus means here is not just or only literally giving our lives, dying physically for our faith, but it could include that, and does include that, not only for those historical figures that I've mentioned, but right across the world, right now, there are people in the persecuted church who are dying because of their faithfulness to Jesus and to the gospel. It's happening right now. One of the, I mean, we need to recover this sense of we've been, we've been called to take up a cross and follow him. I mean, we've been talking about following Jesus. This is at the heart of it. Take up your cross and follow me. The problem is Christianity in the West, and I'm making maybe some sweeping statements here, maybe it would be true of everybody, but Christianity in the West has become a little, tried a little bit too hard to be palatable to the world, to be valued by and approved of by the world. But what does it profit if we gain the approval of the world but lose our soul? Now, there are times when some of the things that we teach will resonate with the world. They, 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 and, and that's fine. So things like all the stuff that we've learned in recent years about emotional health and, and understanding better the effects of mental health and so on. Things like, I don't know, mindfulness. And, uh, you know, we have a Christian version of mindfulness, meditation techniques, all the stuff that we've learned about slowing down and taking life more simply and Sabbath and all that. That will resonate with the world. Uh, well-being, well, you know, that whole concept of well-being, which we approve, it will resonate with the world. These things aren't bad, they're just not Christianity, or at least not the entirety of Christianity. Not the, they may be part, but they're certainly not the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity is you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, whatever the cost. You know, Mindfulness is good, but it ain't worth dying for. Jesus and the gospel, they're worth giving your life for. And the, thing, the problem is, if we focus too much on being palatable to the world, when it comes to the point where we are called to be faithful to the gospel and the world doesn't approve, we're going to be in trouble. We'll either compromise or we'll, we'll be in trouble. It'll be difficult for us. This is what I think we should do. We should not try to be so palatable to the world, but the lives that we live should be compelling for the world. We should not be palatable, but we should stir up an appetite that they want to follow that kind of life. You see, part of the problem why a lot of the world has gone after some of these things like well-being and everything like that is because the church has not done a good enough job in showing what true human flourishing looks like. And if we did, Peter says... Live such good lives among the people who don't know God that, that when they see your good lives, even if they accuse you, even if they persecute you, 
They'll come eventually to glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, they'll become followers of Jesus because our lives are so compelling. We've not always been good at that. But be careful, we're not just seeking to be palatable to the world. I remember when I was, um, when I was, uh, first became a Christian, it was a kind of mid, early, mid-1980s, I was about 18, 19, and I, I became a Christian through the ministry, God blessed it, of this little Baptist church. And I used to go to the little youth group, that me, a few of us, I don't know, about 20 or so of us met in this little lounge in the old Baptist church there, and we used to sing choruses and, you know, learn the scriptures and so on. And there's a chorus we sang, which I've never really heard anywhere else. I remember learning it as a first, when I first became a Christian, and it was this, take up your cross and follow me, though it means pain and agony. Probably why I didn't catch on. <laughs> though friends forsake and turn away, remember it is near the end of the day when we must work for our Lord to tell to those who've not heard, life and peace can be found on Calvary's ground. Calvary, if you don't know, by the way, is the hill on which Jesus was crucified. So life and peace is found at the place of the cross. Life and peace can be found at Calvary's ground. Disciple, we have a lot to say before the end of the day. Anybody ever else heard of that chorus? Is that just totally me? I'm not suggesting, by the way, that we start learning it or singing it, but something was sown in me in that when I first became a Christian, and I've, I have to confess, I've lost sight of it far too often. But something was sown in me that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ was not just to have a good life. It was to take up your cross and follow him. Sadly, sometimes these days, the more people are more likely to hear, God loves you and has a plan for your life. You know? Or come to Jesus and he will do you good. And Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Not long after becoming a, a Christian, I, um, I went off to university and I joined the Christian Union. I was very zealous as a young Christian. A lot more zeal than there was wisdom. That's for sure. But in those days, it was kind of mid-80s. And so people were still talking about, and there were books written and preachers would talk about the persecuted church in the Soviet Union. The underground church in the Soviet Union. And I remember hearing, I don't know if I read it in a book or as a speaker, but one story that stayed with me. And the story was, uh, there was these uh, Russian Christians meeting in the underground church, meeting to pray in this hidden place, an underground meeting. And suddenly a Soviet soldier burst in through the door with a, with a rifle in his hand, pointing the rifle at them. He said, if you're, not, if, you're, if you're not willing to die for your faith, you better get out now. And so a load of them scarpered. And then the, the soldier, he, he shuts the door and he bolts the door again. And then he puts his rifle down. He says, now we know who the truly committed are. Let's get down and pray for real. <laughs> it was probably a preacher's story rather than the truth. <laughs> and it's a bit melodramatic. But it stayed with me for some reason. And I think it was because of this. That that's what being a disciple meant. It meant that you were prepared to lay down your life. Think of some of these things that Jesus said. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And yes, we've got to understand that correctly. It doesn't mean literally to hate them. But your love for him is so much more that it's like it. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Here's another one. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Maybe we're too palatable sometimes. 
As it is, you do not belong to the world, but, have chosen, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. How's that for your well-being? You know? Okay. I know that it's not just talking about literally perhaps being martyred, dying for our faith. Jesus is teaching us an important principle here. You see, the death and resurrection of Jesus introduces us to a whole new world we call the kingdom of God. And this kingdom has been called the upside-down kingdom. I actually think it's the right-way-up kingdom. It's the world that's upside-down. But let's just stay with that for the moment. In the upside-down kingdom, you die in order to live. You lose your life in order to gain it. If you want to be a leader in this kingdom, you've got to learn to be the servant of all. If you want to be great, you have to humble yourself. We've been born into the upside-down kingdom, if you like. And the death, you see, the death and resurrection of Jesus don't only provide us with our salvation, but they give us a pattern for our discipleship. Death and resurrection, dying in order to live, is at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, the best description... I think, of the Christian life, is found in one of the letters of Paul. Again, if you're new to this, Paul was one of the early church leaders and he wrote a load of letters to the early churches to encourage them and strengthen them and teach them. And he says in one of the letters to the church in Galatia, he says this, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. Really, the Christian life is allowing Jesus, the risen Christ, to live his life through you. And the wonderful thing is, is you gain your life by doing that because you discover who you truly were created to be when Christ is living his life through you. There's a paradox there, but it's true. Um, and he talks about, I have been crucified with Christ. So it's once for all. When you were baptized, if you're a Christian and you've been baptized, you were baptized into his death and you were raised into a new life. So in one sense, you already are that new person in Christ. But then, of course, in everyday life, you have to live out that baptism truth. And so Paul also says, as well as talking past tense, I have been crucified, he also talks present tense, I die daily, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then again, writing to a second letter to the church in Corinth, he says, I'm being given over to death every day. But then he says this, but it's for this reason, one, that I might learn to trust in the God who raises the dead. And two, I'm being given over to death so that life can come to you. To live a life where we are crucified with Christ is to live for his sake and for the sake of others. So that's what it is once and for all, and yet it's an ongoing process of dying to self as well. Now to help you to understand what that process might look like, I'd like you to turn with me to another chapter. I say turn to me as if you use Bibles anymore, but you know, look at your phone or look at the screen. And um, we're going to look at Galatians 5. To, let me show you what it looks like in practice to die to self uh, so that Christ can live through us. Now, what's happening here is there is a, in the church in Galatia, there's some Jewish Christians and there's some non-Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, they're called, and they're arguing with one another because some of the Jewish Christians say, you should still follow the law of Moses, you should still follow the Torah, the Jewish teachings, as well as following Christ. Paul comes along and he says, no, 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 
You, you don't live this life by following the Torah. You live this life by knowing that you're already accepted by God and then living by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you do it. But he says to those Jewish Christians, but, or to, sorry, to those non-Jewish Christians who realize that they're free from the law, but, he says, but then humble yourself and serve. Don't use your freedom to do what you like, but serve one another in love. Look at it with me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Now the flesh here, so did it say flesh on there, or I got it slightly different? It said flesh? Okay, good. Flesh there means all those kinds of passions and desires that are part of the old way of life that you used to live, whether it's drunkenness or, or, or laziness or just saying what you feel like, whether, whether it hurts anybody or not, whatever. That old way of life, he says, no, you, you can't indulge your flesh like that. He says, rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is filled, fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And he's going to go on to show that the only way you can love like this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's true. Can I just say, honestly to you guys, looking around at you now as pastor, I can't love you. I can't. I can't, I can't you know, looking at you all now, I just, I just can't love you. It's not you, it's me. Well, actually, it's partly you. Because some of you, you're not easy to love. Some of you, more difficult than others. And I know, soon you're all sitting there thinking, the feeling is mutual, Trevor. <laughs> you're difficult to love too. And it's true, you can't love in this way without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the power of a resurrection life. We have to learn though, if we're going to live in the power of the re- resurrection life, we're choosing not to indulge the flesh. So what have we got to do with that flesh, that old way of doing things, that, that, that selfish way of doing things? Well, he says in Galatians 5, verse 24 to 26, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. That's what you've got to do with the flesh. Not kind of try to change it gradually and hope and try and slightly improve it and hope it'll do better. No, crucify it. It's got to be killed. Crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, oh, keep in, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other, which is what happens when you try to live by the flesh but rather we live by the power of the Holy Spirit. That, by the way, does not mean, therefore, we just have lots of spiritual experiences and charismatic wibbles and wobbles, but it means that every day we keep in step with the Spirit. We walk with the Holy Spirit. The thing is, folks, if we don't do this, if we don't crucify the flesh, or if we don't keep, stay dead. Remember, any of you, any of you, well, this is very politically incorrect, I'm just about to say that. I used to play cowboys and Indians or soldiers when I, when I was a little boy. And when you shot somebody, you'd say to them, stay dead, stay dead. You've got to stay dead. It's not fair. You've got to stay dead. Well, in the Christian life, you've got to stay dead. Your old life has got to stay dead. Because if you don't, quite honestly, if you don't, it's like a zombie apocalypse. It really is. Church will become like a zombie apocalypse. I... I don't know. I, I don't watch. I think I've watched one zombie film 
in my life. And for some reason, I've got this image. I must have seen it somewhere. I'm not big into horror films. I'm not making any moral judgment about horror films. I just don't like them. I remember something like this, this hand coming up out of a grave. And then, and then somebody, uh, uh, some zombie climbing out of the grave. I don't know, they had an eyeball falling out and flesh falling off them or something. I don't know, bleeding. All you see, I, I don't like that kind of stuff. But I remember seeing this one film. But when we don't stay dead, we are like the walking dead. And it isn't pleasant. So Paul here says, Paul says here, um, don't indulge your flesh. Don't bite and devour one another. It's like zombies attacking and trying to eat one another if we do that. We're meant to, what sounds are we meant to hear coming from the church of Jesus Christ? The sounds of worship and the sounds of harmony and peace. Not That's, that's zombies eating one another, by the way. If we don't die to the flesh and learn to live this new life by the Spirit, it's like a zombie apocalypse. That's why, honestly, honestly now, churches can be beautiful places or brutal places. When we live by the Spirit, look, he describes what it looks like in the flesh here. Now, you probably look at the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, and it says things like witchcraft, drunkenness, and orgies. And you think, well, I don't do that. Well, I'm glad to hear that. But it also says things like dissension, and factions, and envy, and self-ambition, and fits of anger. And maybe some of us are guilty of that. But the life of the Spirit... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you know, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, beautiful. And when we get it right, folks, when we live this new life by the power of the Spirit, it's beautiful. But if we don't, it's brutal. If we live by the flesh, try to love one another, try to get on one another when we're still living by the flesh, it's like a zombie apocalypse. And that's why many people leave the church. I don't, not all people, that's not the reason why all people do, but some people do. Because it's been brutal. And I understand, but I would say better, the better response is to take up your cross and follow him. You see, if we're going to love one another well, we have to die to self. Basically, when we talk about dying to self, we're talking about loving one another. We're talking about following the way of love. Because in the Bible, in 1 John, it tells us this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We've talked about those who've laid down their lives today. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then it goes on to say, and we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. That's love. And you can't love one another without this dying to self. You just can't. Now let me practicalize that because it can stay in the realm of nice thought and nice idea, can't it? So I'm going to try to describe to you. I spent some time last night. And these are just my ideas um, of what living a life of love looks like. When dying to self looks like. And by the way, I think we have to die to self hundreds of times every day. And, by the way, I am speaking very much as a fellow apprentice. What I'm about to say, I fail in every day. But I still think it is the way of life that we're called to pursue. It's the ideal that we're called to pursue. You die to self in love when you hurt someone who has hurt you and you can apologize without excuse even when they refuse to apologize to you. You die to self. You can put in your own ideas. See, this is just some of mine. You die to self in love when that person has annoyed you again and you want to make a sarcastic or cutting remark, but you say nothing and bless and encourage them instead. You die to self when you choose to speak well of the person who has slandered you. 
You die to self when you've been misrepresented and even maligned and you choose not to try to vindicate yourself, but you just trust God and live in peace. You die to self in love when you've given richly or served sacrificially and nobody noticed, but you say it doesn't matter because I'm living for an audience of one. You die to self when someone deeply offends you, but you make a positive choice to overlook it and you find ways to actually bless the person who offended you. You die to self in love when you choose to have that uncomfortable, because this is the other side of that. You say, oh yeah, I'm overlooking an offense. No, no. Sometimes you die to self when you choose to have that uncomfortable conversation, difficult conversation with a person who has offended you, even though everything inside of you wants to avoid it. Um, and you determine that when you have the conversation, you are going to keep your love on no matter what that other person says or how they respond or react. You die to self when you feel anger rising up inside of you, but you choose to control it and answer with gentleness and respect. You die to self every time you choose to do the right thing, even when it'd be much easier not to, and it's going to cost you. You die to self in all that you can put you, you put your own in. You die to self every time you choose not to join in the gossip. You die to self when you don't need to win every argument. <laughs> I got this one. This props reveals some things about me. I don't know. About, you know, when you don't have to win every argument. You know, you die to self when you're convinced of something, but you don't have to batter people into submission. Yeah. And I, I, I read this prayer recently. I'm going to have to start praying it. Lord, when I'm wrong, help me to be humble and admit it. And when I'm right, help me to be easy to live with. <laughs> <laughs> you die to self when you're overlooked for that promotion and you choose to rejoice in the one who succeeded. You put in your own, folks. There's hundreds of ways we can die to self. Somebody called it, it's like dying a death by a thousand paper cuts. But it isn't really. It isn't really. I know it sounds very nice, but it's bleeding to death. In fact, actually, I always encourage people, if you're going to die to self, do it quickly. Do it quietly. Do it without bleeding all over the place. And do it without trying to take anybody else with you when you go. You know? <laughs> Okay, so you're saying that give me these home truths, let me give you a few home truths as well. No, don't do that. Die quickly and quietly and so on. But it's not death by a thousand paper cuts. It's actually choosing to live in the light of our baptism identity, that we have been crucified with Christ. And it's choosing not to climb out of the grave and to be the walking dead. Okay, I'm nearly done. There's another famous saying, I've forgotten, it goes centuries back, I've forgotten who first said it, but the blood of the martyrs is seed. I started by talking about those who've literally given their lives physically for the gospel. And they said the blood of the martyrs is seed. That is, when people lay down their lives, it actually it, it results in greater church growth. And there are places across the world right now where the, the places where the church is most persecuted, that's when it's strongest and growing. And we in the West need to learn from those churches. But here's a thought. And without taking anything away from those who are literally physically laying down their lives for the gospel. What would it be like if every day each one of us chose to die to self every time in those ways that I've described. To live a life of love where it's not about us. Where we forget ourselves. Where we seek the good of the other. Where we do what's right even when it costs us. What would the church look like if it did that more and more? I think the church will grow and be stronger the more we die to self, even than the churches where people are physically giving their lives. I'll finish with this. It's easier to die when you believe in resurrection. I mean, 
I read recently, no version of dying, so there's no version of dying to self which doesn't feel like dying. It's difficult. Every time. But it's easier to die to self if you believe in resurrection. And I started with Bonhoeffer. There was a time when Bonhoeffer took one of his companions. Remember, there's just a few of these guys. Because largely, the German church had compromised and given in to the Nazis. But uh, there's these small groups. And they'd started a little seminary. That's like a school for pastors in 1935. To train pastors to do what? Well, to do what we're trying to learn. Following Jesus together. To learn about discipleship and to learn about community. Following Jesus together. Because the church was really compromised. And, and, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote two famous books, Living Together and The Cost of Discipleship. You can get The Cost of Discipleship over there if you like. But he took his companion to a little place by a riverside where there's a big clearing. And through the clearing, you could see at a great distance, you could see the German army, stormtroopers or whatever, or planes, uh, the German planes um, landing and taking off and, and soldiers doing exercises. And he took this young man to show him, we must have the same discipline and passion and commitment that they have for a hateful and destructive kingdom. We must have the same passion and commitment and discipline for a kingdom of love, for the kingdom of God. But the young man with him just dropped his head and said, but what are we against? Such a mighty and powerful army. What are we against? The military might of the Third Reich. And Bonhoeffer just encouraged him. But you know, The Third Reich is no more. Hitler is dead in his grave and one of the most hated and despised people in human history. But the example of those few men and those few pastors has gone on to influence millions. And many of them laid down their life, not just Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer's brother, Bonhoeffer's brother-in-law. Many of that group, they closed the Bible, the Gestapo closed the Bible college in in 1937 and they were thrown in prison it would seem they had lost it would seem that you know the the third Reich had triumphed but as I said the third Reich is no more Hitler is dead and the influence of Bonhoeffer and, and many many more like him through the centuries continues never underestimate the power of seed falling to the ground and dying because this kingdom this kingdom of love that we're after is an everlasting kingdom. We live by the power of an indestructible life. So whenever you're, whenever you're tempted to give up on this, whenever you're tempted this whole way of life, this, this dying to self, this living a life of love, it's just too difficult. And look, what difference does it make in the face of everything, really? Never underestimate the power of a seed falling to the ground and dying. That little act of love that nobody ever noticed you die to self because you're living for an audience of one that has power in it because this kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Amen. I wonder if you could just stand and we'll pray together. Lord, I just pray that you would Forgive me for the many times I climb up out of the grave. When the many times that I, try, I live by my, for myself or by myself and not for you or for others. Forgive me, forgive us when we do that, Lord. 
And Holy Spirit, we can only do this by your power. It's too difficult otherwise. But you provide the Holy Spirit, Father, so we can do exactly that. Help us to live this life of love. For this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and laid down his life for us. And we also, Lord, resolve as disciples of you, as followers of you, Lord Jesus, to lay down our life for one another. Because, Lord, such love demands and calls for our everything. When Christ calls a person, he bids them come and die. Lord, help us to die to self and to live for your glory. Amen.